Welcome to the Book Club Girl podcast, where we chat about great books with awesome authors and you, our listeners, ask the questions. I'm Eliza Rosenberry, homebody, dog mom, and lover of all things literary. And I'm Tavi Kowalchuk, book club nomad, wine imbiber, and lifelong bibliophile. Tommy, what do you mean by book club nomad? Oh, so I dabble in book clubs. I'll spend a few <laughs> months with one and then move on to another. <laughs> are you like searching for something or you just enjoy dabbling? Well, I've definitely found my book club right here with you. Our two-person podcast book club. <laughs> um, on today's show, we actually start with a book club in the novel. Um, it starts as a harmless drinking game at a book club one night. What's the worst thing you ever did? Mm. The question sends character Amy Way reeling because she's done something so bad and so shameful that she would do anything to keep it a secret. And her new mysterious neighbor, Rue, will stop at nothing to expose her. In this game, even winning can be deadly. We'll be talking about the new novel, Never Have I Ever, a tale of domestic suspense, where long-buried secrets resurface. Later in the show, we'll be joined by author Jocelyn Jackson, a New York Times and USA Today best-selling author. Oh my gosh, I cannot wait for Jocelyn Jackson to join us. But before that, we present to you Never Have I Ever Abridged. Never Have I Ever is about a suburban mom and scuba instructor, Amy, whose long-buried sins come back to haunt her. She's extorted for money by a charming new neighbor who says her name is Rue. But Rue has secrets of her own. As Amy fights to protect her young family and treasured relationships, she's forced to face her past for the first time in years and to decide how much her new life is worth. So, Eliza, what did you think of the book? This book was so great. I loved it. (laughs) I know, Um, me too. One of my favorite things was the scuba scenes. I'm actually, I'm a terrible swimmer, so part of me is, like, really into these scenes of people, like, diving and swimming. I know. I can never do, but, but the scenes that Jocelyn Jackson writes are, like, unique and like there I don't know there's there's something meditative about it because it's underwater and it's I love that it functions both as like a plot point in the book like some really crazy stuff happens when they're on these dives but also as a metaphor for the character the main character Amy and the stuff that she keeps below the surface and the way that she presents herself above the surface I love the way you put that it's it's totally true and I I also found those scenes so evocative yet mm-hmm. chilling um I was on the edge of my seat during one of those underwater scenes and I you know At the I, shipwreck the shipwreck I felt like anything could happen any like maybe a new character would pop out of the water. It was <laughs> it was so intense. One other thing that I loved about this book was the game of wits. It is totally. there are so Amy and Rue are so equally matched. And you know, Amy really sort of comes into her own. You think she's like this sort of harmless, quiet suburban mom and then she sort of evolves or or blossoms into this stone-cold killer kind of character. And I was reading this book saying, could I do that? Do I have it in me? Would I be that fierce if I was threatened? Or would I just sort of roll over and say, here's the money? But it really it really made me think, reflect on, you know, how far would I go yeah. if my life was threatened yeah. in, in like a similar way? It also made me think about... Um what it feels like to keep a secret, Mm. you know? I mean, I don't keep a lot of secrets because I think I'm a bad liar, but, you know, (laughs) whenever whenever you have a secret that's either something bad that you've done or something that you worry is going to hurt somebody that you love if you tell them about it or whatever, whatever your secret is, 
what it feels like to have to hold on to that and, yeah. and carry that with you. Yeah. I think the book sort of explores that really well. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, Amy has her own personal journey around that secret where she goes back and she tries to get to the bottom of it and learn mm-hmm. more about it while she's battling Rue while she's trying to outwit her. Yeah. Um, and I, without any spoilers, the way that the book ends was so interesting because it was so surprising to me. It was not at all what I expected the author to do or the character. Um, and I really loved that, that it sort of upended my expectations of, of the decisions that the character would make. I thought it played with the genre a little bit. Yeah. I thought Jocelyn was really going for it when, yeah. she, when she sort of twisted it and kept yeah. twisting and kept twisting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. I cannot wait to talk to Jocelyn. This is going to be a really fun conversation. But before we get to chat with Jocelyn, a quick reminder. We love hearing from you, our listeners. Please join our Facebook group, The Book Club Girls, where you can talk with other book lovers and pose your own questions to the authors who appear on our show. You can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash The Book Club Girls. Welcome to The Book Club Girl podcast, Jocelyn Jackson. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. So one of the things about Never Have I Ever is that it's a departure in genre for you. So I just wanted to start off by asking you to talk a little bit about what that shift was like for you. Well, I've never really fit anywhere on the bookstore shelf. Like, you know, I've been called everything from commercial fiction to literary fiction to upmarket fiction to women's fiction to book club fiction. I finally came up with my own thing. I was like, when people would say, what kind of books do you write? I will say, I write, like, really good ones. But (laughs) if you want me to be (laughs) more specific than that, they are page turners with a shot of Southern Gothic influence for smart readers who can catch the nuances and who have a sense of humor but who don't mind going down into some dark places. (laughs) And that's, I think there's not really a shelf for that (laughs) at the bookstore. But one thing they all had in common was they I always used the engine of a murder mystery or a thriller, you know, and I, I would layer like a family drama over that or, you know, a, a family story over that. But that engine was always present. And so for me, it wasn't so much a genre change. I mean, it's still my book. It's my kind of fierce, independent female characters who act instead of reacting. And it's all my themes I'm always interested in, redemption and the transformative nature of motherhood, like all the stuff I always write about and am interested in is still present. It was really just a matter of stripping away and letting that engine become the be a larger part of the book, just like raising the stakes. I have to say, this book club right here are huge fans of the strong female character. So that is one of the reasons why we absolutely love this book. So when you said that, Eliza and I were both like nodding over here. Yes, yes. (laughs) Strong female character. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's what I'm looking for as a reader a lot of the time. So, you know, I write the kind of books I want to see in the world. I write the kind of books I like to read. One of the things that we loved about your novel speaking of strong female characters, is how Amy and Rue are two sides of a coin. Could you tell our listeners more about these women? That's actually one of the generating ideas for the book. I had had this idea for the Rue character for quite some time, for for years. I'd wanted to write about this blackmailer that I had in my head. And She's a difficult character to write about. Like, you, you, she can't be your protagonist, right? Because she's <laughs> genuinely awful. Um, and I finally figured out, like, the way to write about Rue is to 
break her into two different people. So mm. Amy and Rue are actually, they came out of the idea for the same character. And wow. That is so cool. The, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> the idea was to like have them be, like if they were to take Myers-Briggs or Enneagram, which I, you know, they would get the same result, and the the sorting hat would put them both right into Slytherin, like immediately. <laughs> and I don't I don't say that pejoratively. I'm Slytherin. I think there's a lot of quality Slytherins out there. Um, so so they they really were they came out of the same idea, and the idea was that like they had different moral codes and made different choices, and that's what differentiates them from each other. One is consuming and one is connective like Amy's trying to forge relationships and create a sustainable life and Rue is like Pac-Man you know she she just (laughs) she eats and destroys you know she's one of those people that I'm sure we've all come across in our life who are not terribly connective and so individualistic and so interested in self that they other people sort of are accessories that they can use to get what they need. And it really is about their histories and their choices, not about who they are in your basic born personality. There's just such a frisson to Rue. I mean, the second she shows up at book club, you know, in the beginning of the book, it's like the whole room, the, the whole tenor of the room changes and this ripple goes through all the other women. Everybody knows that a different energy has just entered the space. And that, I think, is really true. Like, I think a lot of people that are these consuming types of people, they can be very charismatic. Yeah. So looking at that first scene when Rue first shows up, um, she initiates a drinking game at the end of the night and sort of takes the book club meeting off the rails. And the game is um, a very, I guess it's, I guess it's just never have I ever, or what's, what's the worst thing you ever did? Um, and so our, our producer, Jordan, wanted to know why did you choose the, the book club setting? And then how did you sort of come to the drinking game as the jumpstart for this story? Well, I, I started at a book club because I thought it would be a very, it would be a power move for Rue to just boldly stride into Amy's territory in a place where Amy is probably at her most comfortable. I mean, she's there with all, with her best friend and her other close friends and all the women she knows from the neighborhood. Her husband is right upstairs taking care of the baby. It's her own house. And like I think that's a power move to come walking right, you know, to make yeah. your first move, to go right into the middle of your enemy's territory. It shows a confidence in your position. Also, I like book clubs. I am in two book clubs myself. And I thought, like, it would be fun for my kind of reader to sort of find themselves and their dynamics in the book club and and see. And, and, you know, it would be a familiar place for the reader, for a lot of readers, too. Like, a lot of dedicated readers are in book clubs because one of the reasons we read is so we can talk about what we've read with other people and exchange ideas and think about stuff. And then or gossip the, about your neighbors. <laughs> a little bit, yes. I, my book clubs definitely have different focuses. Like my classics book club, we read a, a piece of classic literature every six weeks, and we definitely talk about the book. And then my neighborhood book club, we talk about the book a little bit. <laughs> but then, um, so, you know, it let me do a lot of things. And it let me make some fun literary references that sort of point at the themes I'm going to be going for. Like every yeah. book that gets mentioned in the book is is uh, is a little bit of a, a, a light that shows what I'm doing. <laughs> I love that. I 
thought that was so clever. Oh, thank you. And then the the drinking game, well, that comes out. Of, I mean, I've written in other books about people playing games. Um, I think it's always interesting. I love when people, I'm a game player. I love board games. I love all, I love card games. I like any kind of game. Um, not not drinking games, of course, although I hear they're nice. I wouldn't know. Uh, <laughs> all kinds of games I like, to be honest. It sets up a, there's narrative drive inherent in it because there's going to yeah. be a winner and there's a loser. And whenever you have people in a book playing games, it's never about the game. The game lets you show the relationships and what's under. So I like games. I've written, I've written at least three books that have people playing a game in one scene or another. And and also, too, like specifically for this book, the whole point of a drinking game is to get the people that you know, but maybe not super know, to drink a little bit more than you and say a little too much. Mm-hmm. Like you sort of learn people's secrets. It's sort of a, a, a quicker path roads to intimacy or to learning maybe this isn't a person I want to be around. To- this is totally bringing me to my next question. I like as you're talking, I'm like on the edge of my seat to ask you. The book's main characters, Amy and Rue, are in this battle of wits and cunning, which is a game of cat and mouse. So it's like a game. The book starts with a game and then it is a game. There's so many dark twists and especially the way that these women transgress acceptable behavior as they are competing with each other. One of our readers, Debbie, wrote on Facebook, if as you were writing, Jocelyn, did the characters shock you? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This kind of book is usually called a cat and mouse book. And I think that is Rue's intention. But what happens is... She's picked the wrong mouse. This is cat and cat. Mm. So who has the upper hand changes a lot. And, you know, what's going on? There's all these little twists and turns. And then there's some big twists and turns. And for me, like, I know when a book is working, when the characters begin to do things I didn't plan. And a lot of times if they do something I'm uncomfortable with, where I'm like, oh, you're not really going to do that, are you? Like, that's the book. That's the thing I have to follow. I can't, if I try, if I try to go, no, 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 we're not going to go down that road, I end up writing a bunch of mashed potato-y, bland stuff that I end up throwing <laughs> away and going, okay, we're going to do it your way. And I know that it's, like, I know that that is, that's experiential, right? Like, the truth is, I'm the writer. It's all coming from the black and salty marshes of my own mental illness, which is where all the best books are, in my opinion. (laughs) But, like, to get there, you sort of have to write your way down into those marshlands. And then when the characters start leading you along the path they want to take through that territory, you have to go with them. So let's talk about Rue a little bit more. She's not... She's definitely not really a likable character, but like you said, she's got this charisma about her. There's something about her energy um, that sort of draws you, the reader, to her. You're fascinated by her, um, and you can sort of see the other characters being drawn to her. So one of our um, Facebook group members, Christopher, asked, how easy or how hard was it to come up with Rue as a character? She's so bad, she's good. It wasn't hard to come up with her. It was hard to get her out of my brain and onto the page. In a way that would translate. Like, I can't just say, 
Rue came into the room, and she was very charismatic, and everybody was like, wow, this person <laughs> seems cool. Like, she has to be, she has to ooze it. She has to embody mm-hmm. it. The reader has to feel it. You know, when she first shows up, Amy is, like, interested in her, like, this is an interesting person. This is somebody I would, you know, like, she has a, a kind of a quiet life, and she's she has a new baby, and I, uh, babies are great, and I love mine, but with a new baby... Every day is the same day. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good day, but it's the same day until the baby <laughs> starts doing other things. And so, you know, she's really attracted to that. So I wanted—so that was hard, is to, to make the attraction that Rue has, those pheromones she can throw out, to, to make the reader feel that way about her, too. That was the real challenge. And it's working to a great degree. Like most readers have that response where they they hate her, but they're also like they can't look away. And then some people, uh, oftentimes people who have had run-ins with a real-life Rue, just freaking hate her. Like mm-hmm. they just hate her. And they read the book like just like, I hope that she gets her. Like I want to see somebody take her down. So it's kind yeah. of a hate read kind of thing, which I get that too. <laughs> I just want to ask you a totally gratuitous question because this book to me was so visual and these characters were like larger than life. So I imagined someone like Alicia Silverstone playing Amy and Demi Moore as Rue in the movie. And I'm not the only one who had who was envisioning the book this way. Ellie from our Facebook group wants to know if the book were to be made into a movie, who do you, Jocelyn, envision playing your two leads? I don't know. Like, I never <laughs> want to do... Like, I have a secret dream. I know it will never happen. That one day, Jennifer Aniston and Angelina Jolie would make a movie. And this would be, like, the perfect oh kind of movie. Like, it would be so much <laughs> so much history right there, you, every, you know? And it's the right kind of relationship because they've always been kind of cast that way. And I don't even yeah, need to tell perfect. you who's going to play what role. Do I? No, right. I do not. But... Um, that would be a dream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I don't think anybody like I don't really care, honestly, like I never think books get made into movies. I think they're really different mediums. And a person who has an artistic vision takes a book and makes their own movie out of it. So I would be much more interested in not having any say at all and just seeing what this other art like it would be a conversation you know, mm. between two different mediums. So Jocelyn, Tavia and I were talking yesterday and we love the diving scenes in this book. They were so unique and meditative and tense. Um, and the theme of water runs through this novel and it's, you know, it's diving that saved yeah. Amy's life, you know, back in her early 20s. It's it's her profession. It's the way that she bonds with her stepdaughter, Maddie. And it's the reason that she met her husband. So scuba is a really big deal in the book. So Jackie wants to know, um, what inspired the diving storyline in the book? Everything that you just said. Like, I wanted those Nailed metaphors <laughs> to be available to me. And, I mean, the funny thing was, like, it became obvious to me before I started the book that scuba would need to be a huge thing in the book. But I had never scuba dived. <laughs> and so I tried to write those scenes. And, and, like, also there was this little piece of me that was like, I wonder, I bet it would be fun to figure out how to commit crime underwater. You know, like, mm. that was fun to me, too. And when I first started drafting, the scuba scenes were really flat. They just weren't very good, to be honest. And I went to my husband and I said, 
Honey, I have never yet had my midlife crisis. It is high time I did something really expensive and possibly life-threatening. And, <laughs> and it's going to be scuba so I can write this book. And he was like, I will have it with you. That sounds like an awesome midlife crisis. I like it much better than, like, an oiled cabana boy for you. So let's do this thing. And we um, we started diving together. And then I love it so much. Everything except for the the crime part it's all based on my real experiences that's really how i feel about it like i love the sport so much i one of my goals became to make it be a living thing for other people so more people would try it and do it it's and you know as a scuba diver you really are like we go on trash runs and just clean stuff out of the ocean you take a trash bag with you get any plastic you see on the reefs out of there so i think it's um it, it was one of the nicest things that happened coming out of this book. I mean, it's not even tax deductible anymore because it's not research and we're going to Cozumel over Thanksgiving. Like, it's our favorite thing. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, those scenes were just so evocative and the the tranquility and mystery that you convey in those underwater scenes is astounding. I really, really appreciated that. Oh, thank you. Plus, it's also fun. Like, I really wanted to do that, have that sort of beautiful underwater moment so that when some, not every dive goes perfectly, we'll just say that. So <laughs> I didn't want to scare people off from diving. So I'm glad that you what you remember from the book is the beauty of it. <laughs> mm. um, I want to sort of shift gears a little bit and ask you about some work that you do in your personal life. You've sure. taught creative writing in women's prisons in Georgia through a nonprofit yes. called Reforming Arts. And yes. you also sit on their board. One yes. of your readers, Emily, knows about this service, and she wants to know, how is your experience teaching at the women's prison impacted how you view the characters and their redemption or not in the novel? I've been working with Reforming Arts a while, and it is my heart work. It really changed my understanding of how justice works in this country it's not great. It's not equitable or fair the way sentencing gets applied. And the women that I teach, they're all different races. They're all different ages. They're all different orientations. The things that they have in common are 99.9% .9 of them come out of grinding poverty and 99% of them come out of extremely disordered family units. So it, it definitely has changed how I think about And I'm a writer. I've called myself a redemption-obsessed novelist for years. I've been looking at it in a more broad-spectrum way since I started working there, that it's not really just about this personal journey toward, you know, fulfillment or not or, or, or making up for whatever you've done in the past. So much of who you are is and what opportunities you have come out of the where you're born and who you're born to. Jocelyn, thank you so much for doing that work. That sounds incredibly powerful. I love it and it's it's difficult, but it's I mean it's hard. And I know but it's easy for me to say that it's hard because at the end of the day, I take my keys and I leave. So in that way, it's not hard at all. I go home to my nice husband and my cats and make whatever I want for dinner. So in that way, it's it's a very easy thing to do because I have all this agency and choice. There's so much to talk about in this book, but we have to take a very quick break. We'll be right back. This episode of the Book Club Girl podcast is brought to you by After the Flood, Cassandra Montag's epic novel about a woman who braves a flooded world in search of her daughter. 
It's a saga set in a not-too-distant dystopian future. After the Flood centers on the social impacts of climate change and is a haunting study of life in a post-apocalyptic world. Called The Handmaid's Tale meets Game of Thrones, it's available now wherever books are sold. Welcome back to the show. We are here with Jocelyn Jackson talking about her novel, Never Have I Ever. I'm going to shift gears here, Jocelyn, and and we ask um, every author who comes on the show, we ask them the same question, which is what is your literary white whale? Meaning like what is the book that you've always been meaning to read but just have never actually gotten around to it yet? Um, so oh. what's your what's your literary white whale, Jocelyn? Oh God, I don't. I'm I am an instant gratification kind of a girl. Amazing! Uh, no, if whale. I want to read a book. I just read it. <laughs> it's not that hard. <laughs> it's not that hard. <laughs> like I mean, it's not there. I I can't think of a book that that's. I mean, there's and I'm I'm a horrible human being. I will say that right up front. I will stop at any point and say, nope, and throw a book aside. Like, I start probably, I maybe finish a third of the books I start. And I have no guilt about that. And I'm not an aspirational reader. Uh-huh. I don't think, like, oh, I, I need to read this or that. I, I just don't. I'm in a classics book club, which keeps me sort of rooted in reading these books that have won awards. And I also really like super commercial, fun stuff that just is delicious. And then I read books that are very difficult that, you know, maybe sometimes it's not even a pleasure to read a Hello, Ethan Frome, but (laughs) you're going to talk with somebody about it, and it has big, important ideas in it. So I'm a really broad-spectrum reader, and and I'm I'm just—if I want to read something, I just read it. That's so inspirational. Seriously. I'm sorry. I wish I had known this question in advance. I might have been able to think of something, but I'm just drawing a blank. I can't think of a book. No. Well, I wanted to read that I didn't. So refreshing. You've really made it very simple. Just read the darn book. Just read it. It's fine. And if you don't like it, you can stop and go read something else. It's fine. Well, that will definitely not be the case for readers who pick up Never Have I Ever because it's such a fun, amazing read. Jocelyn, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We had such a great time talking with you. Oh, I had a good time too. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. That was Jocelyn Jackson, whose book Never Have I Ever is out now. To find out more about Jocelyn's book and how to buy it, head to bookclubgirl.com, where you can also find links to everything mentioned in this episode. And if you like what you heard today, you can subscribe to the Book Club Girl podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please give us a rating and leave a review. Another way to help spread the word about the Book Club Girl podcast is tell a friend. It really helps others to find us. You guys will hear from us again in two weeks when we'll be talking with Beatrice Williams about her new book, The Golden Hour. I can't wait for that conversation. Me too. Readers, if you want to join in, if you've read The Golden Hour and have a question for Beatrice Williams, post them in the comments on our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash the book club girls, or call us at 212-207-207. 7336. You can also send us an email. That address is thegirls at bookclubgirl.com. We'd love to hear from you. Before we go, a big thank you to Jordan Gosperé and Kristen Meinzer, who produced today's episode, to Michael Bognar, who engineered today's episode, to Emily Crump, who introduced us to Jocelyn Jackson, and to Maureen Cole, honorary book club girl and rainmaker extraordinaire. Until next time, I'm Tavia. I'm Eliza. Happy reading. 
Stay tuned after the episode for a sneak peek from the audiobook of Never Have I Ever. This was good. This claimed my whole attention. Everything had to be right because I was about to bet my life on these machines, these tubes, these frail connections. On the way to the car, I checked the weather and the tides on my phone app and then drove straight to the abandoned fishing pier. Here in September, mid-morning on a school day, I was alone on this sunny stretch of beach. I hadn't even called Davis or the shop to tell someone where I was. Smart divers did not solo, I told my students, not even at familiar walk-in spots like this one. But I dropped my bag and peeled my dress over my head and kicked my sandals off anyway. I geared up and did my final checks, then walked into the green-blue waves. The water rose around me, slowing my unwieldy steps until the low waves were slapping at my upper thighs. It was enough. I fell forward, arms out, and the water caught me. It took me in. It let me under. The ocean was thick with bits of green seaweed. Low visibility, but I was almost glad. I didn't want to see too far ahead. I had no desire to look behind me. I wanted only to be in this now, the water a living world of green surging around me. The ocean had its own breath, and suspended in the huge, relentless inhale-exhale of the tide, I matched mine to it as I slipped my fins on. For the first time since Rue had said that word to me, justice, I felt as if the air I drew got all the way inside me. I exhaled in regulated, even ways, using my breath and the oceans to keep my body angling ever downward, following the sloping sand into the sacred, silent space. It was huge enough to hold the things inside me. I came to the wreckage of the pier, where the baitfish churned in schools, flashing silver in the green gloom. They swam, like with like, hundreds banded into a single organism. Each was its own self, but they all stayed in formation, each hoping it would not be singled out. Two long, thin shadows took shape in front of me. Barracuda, drawn by the baitfish, and this was the way the world worked. Predators came, drawn to easy meat. They watched me go by, impassive. <laughs>